Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Jared Dubin of 538 and many other wonderful outlets, and our focus is on the players and teams that we're most excited to see during the early part of the season, cover a lot of different ground, also talk about our takeaways from the first two days of games, the Tuesday and Wednesday, including lots of really interesting stuff. So I thought it was a great conversation brought to you by betonline.ag. Use that CLNS50 promo code to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Podcast runs a little bit under an hour. Lots of good stuff here. Hope you enjoy. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's always a good time. I like to end podcasts this time of year, honestly, throughout the season with, well, what are you going to be watching over the next two weeks? And it's not going to be as narrow a focus as that. But really, like, I thought the way to frame most of this podcast is, what are you most excited to see during the early stretch of the season? For me, it's just all of the newness going around the league. Like, I want to take a look at the Hawks. I am supposed to write something about the Cavs fairly soon, checking in on, like, the early returns of this new group, but that may need to be pushed back with Darius Garland getting whatever it was, like, poked in the eye last night. Um, so got to check that out at some point. I was at the Nets-Pelicans game last night, so that's, you know, Ben Simmons and Zion Williamson both back and seeing how those teams go. You know, like, what does Minnesota look like with Rudy Gobert? Like, just... Basically, everything that's new, I want to get an eye on early in the season. I'm of a similar mind, and it's not only new faces in new places like you brought up. I think those are fantastic, and we'll talk about some of those in a bit. But also, like, the teams that we haven't seen totally whole in a while. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. Denver, to me, is an example there. Like, we only really got, I think it was eight games where Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, and Jokic all played together, and MPJ, and MPJ as well, and so, like, yeah, I want to see how that works out. You know, they did they did lose in their opening night game to the Jazz, a game I only got to see some fleeting moments of due to the other obligations, but it's a challenge, like, Denver's a, a good example of this, where, like, I'm focused more in the early going, not only on teams that, like, I, I think are maybe more on the fringes of championship contention, if they're there at all, because the uh, those other teams are going to take time. Time, but also just because I need to kind of steel myself against making rash judgments on teams that are going to be different in April than they are right now. And that matters. Like, you know, and there's a chance, you know, that the Cavs or the Wolves or somebody else can get into that title picture. But I'm not going to obsess over how Kawhi Leonard looks in game one because I know game one and game 82 are very different. Right. And now there was the uh, Chris Haynes report couple hours ago now that you know the Clippers might bring Kawhi off the bench at the start of the season in an effort to manage his minutes um which you know if you ask Russell Westbrook is going to lead to some hamstring issues but (laughs) amazing (laughs) (laughs) but but but, you know obviously that's not going to be the way it goes all season like maybe he's playing you know minutes in the 20s or something like that all year by the time this team is the team we think it's going to be, you know, he's going to be back to playing, you would think, his uh, his normal minute load. Like, even a team like, you know, I, I caught the tail end of the uh, Grizzlies-Knicks game last night when I was in the media room at Barclays, and we're looking out there, and it's like they got Conchar on the floor in big moments. They got Santi Aldama out there in big moments. Like, at the end of the season, that's going to be Jaron Jackson. That's going to be, you know, Dylan Brooks or Zaire Williams or one of those guys is going to be back. Like, it's – I always find it difficult – to watch teams without guys that I know are going to be back at some point because I tend to watch games to learn something about the teams. So, you know, I had this Cavs-Raptors game on from last night because I wanted to see what the new Cavs look like, and I found myself, like, tuning out once Garland got hurt because I was like, this sort of defeats the purpose of why I wanted to watch this game to begin with. Um, If they're not going to have their guys, then I'm not going to see what they're going to look like with this group. You know what I mean? It's like last year I went through a long stretch where I didn't watch much of the Sixers because they just had guys in and out of the lineup every single night. But then obviously once they got to the deadline and they had Harden, I was like watching as much of them as I could because I needed to gather as much information about that team as I could before they got to the playoffs. It's a fantastic point. And I I watched all of that Cavs Raptors game because ended up being really good and competitive and I and Nate, it was one that Nate and I wanted to focus on and watching watching the Cavs even when they got shorthanded kind of going after the Raptors trying to do what they could against the Raptors defense was interesting but another related point of that which you can see and not see is 
how who kind of the preference orderings I guess you could say it in terms of coaches and their rotations because you get a lot of talk you get a lot of bluster before the season and some of it is just like obfuscation but I think most of it is just they're trying to figure everything out maybe the coaches are trying to puff guys up but you do start to get those preliminary indicators okay this guy played the most minutes off the bench this guy started here was the general rotation in Cleveland's case it might be hard to separate out the two because like for example when Darius Garland's out then you need more Karis LeVert but Karis LeVert even before that started at small forward in, in that game mm-hmm. yeah um and then I think uh, I was looking at the box score after and I think Osman wound up playing the most minutes off the bench for them and I, I was somewhat surprised that Toronto started Trent not Achua I thought that they would go with Achua and bring Trent as like the the go-to scoring option off the bench so that was a little bit surprising to me maybe they wind up matching up with teams in the future but that's something obviously to keep an eye on and then just the, the game that I was at and um, Nets Pelicans one of the first things I noticed was that Willie Green was attaching Zion Williamson and CJ McCollum in the rotation those guys came out at the six minute mark of both the first and third quarter and then came back in at the three minute mark for uh ingram and Jonas valanciunas so that that's a it's it's interesting pairings with those two you know um i don't necessarily know what it tells me just yet but it's something that i'm going to keep an eye on throughout the rest of the year see if those pairings stay the same if they change if the rotation changes like generally i i wrote about the you know rotation patterns a couple of years ago players really do not like having their rotation pattern changed they no, they do like not that. this was a big thing where um in oklahoma city when everybody wanted scott brooks to stagger kevin durant and russell westbrook but they were both used to playing the entire first quarter for their entire careers and and i wrote something about how like scott brooks like you need to stagger these guys what are you doing and i wound up talking to him about it a couple years later when he was with the wizards and he was like yeah i mean none of those guys had ever come out midway through the first quarter before unless they were in foul trouble it was just not something they were comfortable with and i think they finally wound up doing like one of them came out at like the nine minute mark towards like the tail end of Brooks's their rotation pattern midway through the season because Porzingis was complaining to Rick Carlisle that the six minute stints he was playing in weren't allowing him to get in a rhythm and he was like still stiff when he came back off the bench. So they switched Porzingis from being the guy that came out at the six minute mark to the guy that played the entire quarter and they switched Doncic in the middle of the season to like the Dirk rest plan where he went like six on three off six on three off six on. And I thought that that was like a really interesting thing, especially with your best player to do that. So right now the Pelicans have like Ingram and JV playing the first nine Zion and CJ playing the first six and then coming back in three minutes later. And I want to see if or how that changes over the course of the year. That's a great one to mention, and it was something that Nate and I, you know, did the NBA strategy stream broadcast. We didn't talk about as much um, as the sub patterns, but it's a, a great point to bring up. Oh, did and you guys do that game? We did. Yeah, oh, I so. would have liked to. I didn't know that. I mean, I, I guess I couldn't have gotten it uh, in the arena anyway because I'm in in market. But right, yeah, yeah, it would it would have been difficult, but it was it was fun. And so I, I think what and those were two of my top teams to watch. You know, starting the season because they're in, you know incorporating Zion back into a team that was successful last. Last year, and then of course Ben Simmons, and there were a lot of reasons why Brooklyn lost on Wednesday, but. Simmons and like Nate and I had a little bit of a uh, discussion slash argument about this on on Dunked on Prime afterwards about like I said it looked like the Simmons that we saw before and he's like well specifically it looked like the Simmons that we saw not the best iteration the one in the Western Conference semifinals against the Hawks that was tentative that wasn't you didn't want to get fouled and wasn't really there offensively and I thought that was a fair distinction and also he had a couple of defensive moments but partially due to the foul trouble I mean that's why he only played I believe it was 23 minutes but you don't want to read too much in one game, but you you do get to see, well, this is where he is right now. And I thought it was a very dispiriting performance from Ben Simmons. Oh, for sure. And I think some of it had to do with the decision to put him on Zion. Um, that obviously contributed to the foul trouble. Um, but there were a couple plays, like he had a chance, like this is not something that really matters, but like he had a chance to like go up for a dunk after the whistle on one play and saw somebody there and just didn't try to go up for the dunk. Um, 
not that the dude would have blocked him like he was near the rim but not like in a position where he was like gonna block it and i was like oh so he won't even take that shot like he wound up taking three shots in 23 minutes um i didn't think he was particularly good defensively for the most part the whole team was kind of a disaster on defense with the exception of like kd protecting the rim everything else was really bad um Kyrie didn't look good at all um Claxton got kind of moved around a little bit Zion looked like he was like teleporting for offensive rebounds <laughs> at certain points um JV was dominating them on the offensive glass and I mean they, they must have left Trey Murphy wide open for three like five or six times they, um, they left I, C, they left CJ open three times in one quarter where they were kind of scrambling to do something else and then it's like oh there's one of the better shooters on the team wide wide open so yeah there were a lot of a lot of scrambles where the instinct was to run to the ball instead of stick with your guy if he can shoot yeah and, and there was just like a lot of like helping one pass away with nobody coming in behind to sprint out to the shooter it was um it was not good stuff and the pelicans like didn't even take very many threes either they just like got anything they wanted everywhere that said, Kevin Durant looked awesome, especially in that second quarter. He had some really good defensive plays. They're going to need him to play good defense in order to get that. There just isn't that much talent until they get some some guys back. I mean, honestly, even though some of the guys aren't great defenders, it just gives them stability within the rotation, which they don't necessarily have right now. We saw a lot of a lot of limited performers. Like I'm not the biggest Edmund Sumner believer, and he had to play minutes because Seth Curry and Joe Harris were unavailable. And the other game that I thought, you know, I focused on a lot watching. In in the the media room of Chase Center before Warriors Lakers which had less signal in it was Philly Boston and Boston kind of along the lines of what you said you don't want to go too hard into them because Robert Williams isn't there Robert Williams is really important but we're gonna have a large sample without it the bigger takeaway for me and again preliminary was trying to figure out the priorities and process for Philly offensively two things stuck out one you articulated incredibly well which was about James Harden's reluctance to take catch and shoot threes which we'll talk about in a second and also so their usage or complete lack thereof of Tyrese Maxey when Maxey, Harden, and Embiid are all playing together. Yeah, the Harden catch and shoot thing is something I've been talking about for like a couple of years now. And I wrote about it at the time of the trade last year. Um, when you have an offense that's based so much around a post-up player, a lot of times it turns the other guys on the court into spot-up threats. And Harden just like flat out refuses to take catch and shoot threes. There were two like egregious ones in the first half that he passed up one of them ended with him missing a step back three and the other one ended with like him you know freelancing into like a, a pick and short roll with pj tucker who then fired it over to tobias in the corner who missed a three and it's just like if Embiid is going to draw this attention or if maxi is going to come off the screen and draw this attention and get you the ball when you're open on the wing or at the top of the key you have to take the shot otherwise it short circuits the entire like theory of the offense like he's just he just has to do it and it's he's been pretty unwilling to do it for quite a while now um i don't particularly understand why maxi was such a bystander for a lot of the time while he was out there i'm i'm like <coughs> excuse me sorry maybe they need to stagger things a little bit differently in terms of the way they're you know mixing and matching the four of those guys uh maxi harden harris and Embiid, um to get him a little bit more responsibility on the ball or but that that goes back to harden being unwilling to be a catch and shoot threat like if he's not going to shoot when he's off the ball then it doesn't make like maxi being on the ball there's just like another defender that can come his way you know like it's uh it's hard but i I mean for me the bigger issues for them were on defense um they weren't getting back in transition they were getting back cut guys were not paying attention they lost a bunch of guys off the dribble um it, it was ugly on that end i thought and um it's boston didn't shoot particularly well from outside um 12 of 35 but on twos they were 34 of 47 and it looked that way throughout the game right and that i mean i i already invoked the 2021 second round series against the hawks once and might as well do it again like the idea that the sixers not only with their horrendous transition defense but also with some of as you mentioned some of what they're doing in the half court the quality of shots that they are conceding is too high for me to think of a team as a high-end championship contender like the pathway to being to beating like let's call it three really 
really good teams with a defense that porous is really narrow. Yeah, and I mean, some of this is like you got you're working in some new guys. Obviously, PJ Tucker uh, wasn't there last year. Um, DeAnthony Melton wasn't there last year. Montrose Harrell wasn't there last year. Daniel House wasn't there last year. Um, and some of it is that the defensive styles you need to play to accommodate their two stars are completely divergent from each other. Yes, they are. Like, you don't want Embiid really switching. You want him to park near the rim, and you don't want Harden not switching. Like, so it's it's difficult to navigate, and it's going to be a challenge for them to figure out the best way to go all year. I think. I would also love to see like it, and different coaches have different philosophies here. I would love to see Doc try kind of develop different I like to call them theories of the case for different lineups. So like when Joel Embiid is off the floor, they were bringing in Montrez Harrell and things looked different, but it was it wasn't like, "Oh, this is a totally different world. They're doing all this type of stuff." I mean, the Harrell did have some opportunities, but you could theoretically incorporate the strengths and weaknesses of your player. It doesn't solve the starting and closing five issues with maybe you separate Embiid and Harden a little bit more, and then you bring in Paul Reed and you go to a switching group and you put a couple other guys around that. You probably don't want Tyrese Maxey out there in those circumstances. And then you have some Maxey and Embiid minutes, which have been very successful in the past as well. And so you can kind of work within that. You're probably going to run more of a drop coverage in those circumstances, and they have plenty of personnel that can function in those circumstances as well. And it was there were also these moments where I was going crazy because even though he's horrendously overpaid and that's largely unrelated, like Tobias Harris is a talented offensive player and he's going to be marginalized. That's just a part of his place within the Sixers team. To see Maxi kind of in the same place where he's, I mean, an even more talented offensive player in my eyes. And part of the reason why that happens, you brought up Harden's reluctance to shoot, is also that Harden is such a bad mover when he doesn't have the ball. Like, I'm not expecting everybody to be J.J. Redick or Steph Curry out there when they don't have the ball, but that means that Harden isn't creating the kind of advantages when he's not involved in the action that other guys are. Yeah, Maxi had a little bit of an issue adjusting last season, too. Like, there was a stretch where he played really well when Embiid was out, and then Embiid came back, and it was kind of like an adjustment period for him to figure out where he really fit um, within the offense. And maybe it's just going to be something similar this year where it's got like an adjustment period to, uh, to to figure out the best way to do this. Obviously, last year they were trying to integrate Horton on the fly. So it was like an adjustment for everybody, basically. Now, you know, they've had more time to plan and I'm sure they built more things around Harden in the offseason. And that means that the other guys have to adjust a little bit. Maybe it's just going to take some time for him to find his spots. I I don't have as much worry about him not being able to figure things out. Like, I think he still wound up, uh, yeah, he still wound up taking 16 shots, which is is a decent amount. He didn't have the ball very often. It was a lot of, you know, attacking, beating closeouts, taking catch and shoot threes, getting out in transition, things like that. I think I saw somebody had the stat, I can't remember who it was, that Harden had the ball in his hands for more minutes than Tatum and Brown combined. Wow. Which is crazy. <laughs> that is absolutely incredible. And so, yeah, th- there's a lot to a lot to figure out there. And I do appreciate that adding P.J. Tucker, Melton, and House gives them more of that kind of like rotation heft to mm-hmm. make the other things work. So if they can kind of figure some of these elements out, and they have a lot of talent. Like, this is an incredibly, incredibly good team. But it does look like preliminarily, you know, assuming teams stay healthy, that they're going to have to face a lot of good opponents that have different strengths and weaknesses. And the Celtics were a great test case there. And the, the you know, Jalen and Jason each getting 35 was a reminder of all that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also a reminder, like, the Sixers still need some wing defense. Um, DeAnthony Melton is a good perimeter defender, but he's also too small really to handle Tatum yeah he's more um, of a point I like him more as a point of attack guy rather than right. a, rather than like a one-on-one defender of guys that are bigger than him yeah like he's probably not strong enough for Jalen Brown and he's not tall or long enough even though he is crazy long for his size to handle Tatum so then you have Tucker on Tatum um and a not particularly good matchup for Brown no matter who you go with and then you know you bring House off the bench who can like maybe handle one of those guys like make things a little bit difficult for a couple minutes here and there and this is where it stinks that you know Thibault can't make a shot because even though he's better as a defender off the ball than he is on the ball he at least has the length to have a chance 
at bothering Tatum off the dribble. None of their other guys really has that. So when they go up against a team that's built around wings, I do think it's going to be an issue for them. Unfortunately for the Sixers, there are many good teams that are. And if they're... Yes. And again, if the goal is to win a championship, like that's that's part of the reason why my title contenders, or at least the like inner circle, has always been narrower, I think, than than many people's, because the idea that over the course of it, you don't know who which teams you're going to face, but you're mm-hmm. going to face a lot of different types of teams with different strengths and different weaknesses. And so the if you have a specific problem against oh, let's say like a pull up point guard like they did in in 21 they'll then that's gonna you know that's gonna be an issue and so you can have that or some of the wing stuff or everything else and they'll have to figure some of that out because presumably boston and milwaukee and then i think somebody else will come up from the group whether it's miami or cleveland or somebody else and i brought up miami just now i think that's a good a good way to talk about another thing that i'm going to be watching um, quickly to address the point you just made about needing to play different kinds of teams I always go back to in 2009 when the Celtics and Cavs built teams to beat each other and then got knocked off by the Magic. Yeah. You can't build a team to beat one team um, unless you're like the Rockets going up against those Warriors teams because you knew there was no chance that you weren't going to play them. Um, but then they still didn't uh, weren't able to beat that team because Chris Paul they, pulled his hamstring. They got close a couple times. Yeah. But yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And the tunnel vision can sometimes obscure it. And also like the that's part of why a lot of us fixate on defensive versatility is the idea that that gives you the ability to face different kinds of opponents. And then offensively, you need to have the ability to succeed if they take things away. You know, this is the idea from an individual or a team perspective of counterpunching. And hilariously enough, one player who needs to work on his counterpunching is Zion Williamson. Like, he he was going left-hand every time, and when Nick Claxton kind of pieced that together, Claxton did a better job than Ben Simmons, then he wasn't able to do it. But the second Zion, oh, I'm going to fake left and then go right, he's going to get another, like, five easy points a game. Yeah, and then uh, there were a couple times where he went right and missed, but he just went and like he like teleported to grab his own offensive rebound. Right. There was one of them. There was one of them. I think it was like early in the fourth quarter where me and the guy next to me were like legit like cackling at each other. Like, how did this dude just go from there to here to get that rebound? It makes no sense. Um, he wound up missing the follow up too, but then JV tipped it in. Um, but it's just like the the way that he can move. As long as he gets to the basket, he's gonna get an easy shot. And even if he doesn't convert it, he's like the most likely player to grab the rebound, even though he's an offensive player. It's it's really crazy. Lots more to talk about with Jared Dubin to come. But first, a message from betonline.ag. Basketball is back and BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You always find the latest odds, team matchup information, player news and game trends at BetOnline. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and live scores, plus giveaways all season long. It is always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. So use the CLNS50 promo code at BetOnline.ag to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit Again, that promo code is CLNS50, which you need to receive your rewards at BetOnline, where the game starts. I don't think I'm going to focus a ton on the Miami Heat in the early going, in part because I want to give Eric Spolstra some time to figure out this rotation, but I am extremely intrigued by how he manages Tyler Hero and Max Drews in particular. And some of this is going to be ego management. Tyler Hero just signed this big extension, and he, you know, his playmaking does give Miami something that they needed a lot last year, and they will need this year, especially if Kyle Lowry is looking like a more limited version of himself. I don't think game one is necessarily reflective, but you get into that. But I also still think Max Drews is the better all-around player. And Miami, they've always done a kind of a good job navigating the kind of, I like to think of it as the Island of Misfit Toys of like using one-way players in a way that benefits them. But not only from the like basketball maximization perspective, but from the personal dynamics, Spo has a job in front of him. Yeah, I mean, the thing I'm most interested in seeing with that team is Lowry. Um, Sure. Just because if he's not able to be like 
a true positive force, that's a, a really big issue for them. Like they can't be playing Gabe Vincent for 30 minutes a night or having Hero run the point when he should probably be playing off the ball more often um, or taxing Jimmy with also running the entire offense in addition to everything else that he does. So like, I need to see something from Lowry, not necessarily right now, but we can't get signs that like, Oh God, this is, you know, this guy is cooked. Like if we're getting signs like that, that's, that's really bad. Um, So I'm going to be paying attention to that for sure early in the season. And then how they're navigating the, like the big wing spot next to Butler, I guess they went with Cody Martin last night. And then Uh, Caleb um, Caleb Martin, not Caleb Martin. Sorry. They're they're the same DNA. It's not that different. Yeah. Caleb Martin. And then I think they played Shrews next to him a little bit as well. Um, Um, I really like Caleb Martin and I was surprised that he fell out of the rotation for them toward the end of last season. And I would have thought that he was going to be a playoff guy. So I hope they kind of stick with giving him a bunch of minutes here, you know, unless they bring in somebody else like a Jay Crowder or whoever, I feel like he's the best option for them in that spot. That's not necessarily a great spot to be in where he's the best option, but I do think he's a pretty good player. And one of their, like he's, I don't think he's one of their one way guys. I think he can contribute on both ends. And that's important, especially in a lineup where, you know, hero is a one way guy and Lowry is trending toward being a one way guy. So I do think you need guys that are both sides of the court players. You do. And I thought it was notable. Again, not a game I focused on. I'm sad that I missed the DeRosa Napalooza that happened. But we saw, we wondered about like kind of the power four rotation for Miami. And, you know, they have all these kind of like guys not in the necessarily the main part of their roster who are intriguing. So Jovic, who they drafted in the first round, and Jamal Kane is going to play some power forward for them, presumably. Haywood Highsmith. And really, what that wasn't a part of the story in game one. Game one is just, just one game, but that is something that I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, the And there was no... Uh... Uh, Yurtsevin either. I right. don't even think he was yeah, active. It was all Deadman. And yeah. that, that could shift around and, and there's still, you know, things are still getting figured out. But the other, another kind of genre that I'm really excited about in the beginning of the season, and I'm sad that I didn't get to do it as much in game one, though I may go back and watch them in the film, are rookies. And I consider this a snapshot. You know, you're not saying this is what this player is going to be five years from now, much less even at the end of this year. Like, you know, like it's not going to be that, but it's just like, okay, does it look like they can hang? Does it look like they have the the relative athleticism? And we get a sense of this. You and I both love going to summer league every year and watch preseason basketball, but you do get this real window of how does Paolo Bancaro look next to NBA players? Does what Ben Matherin's done have basically just dominate ever since he got into the into the summer league stuff? Does that carry over? And I love watching those early games to get a sense of the basic outlines. Yeah, I wish I had gotten a chance to watch that uh, Orlando game last night. Apparently, Paolo was the first... Uh, I don't know if it was the first rookie or the first number one pick to debut with at least 25, five and five since LeBron. Um, I really didn't get to see much of that game. I saw like one highlight of him dunking over, I think it was like Corey Joseph, um, which looked pretty awesome, but he was, he was good when we were out there in summer league for the couple of, a couple of games that he played. So obviously I would like, like to see more of him. Jaden Ivey, I think got hurt in the first game that I was at like three minutes into the game or whatever it was. Speaking of that, Shaden Sharp got hurt four minutes into his first game, and then he he looked. I only saw a little bit of his minutes, but he had a couple tough threes and had some finishes. And yeah, Sharp got hurt before I got there because I thought that summer league started on Friday, like it always had, but it started on Thursday this year, so I missed the first two games on opening night, so I didn't see. Uh, sharp I didn't see or I, I did see Chet in one game but and then Ivy got hurt in the first game I was at like it was uh it was outrageous stuff out there it it was and so for but for me especially with Ben Matherin and Keegan Murray Murray didn't play in the first game due to I, I guess technically he's out of health and safety protocols but being in it previously and part of the reason is because in both summer league and the preseason they each looked like guys that can contribute right now and rookies are very rarely truly positive players and they can sometimes if they get the touches they can have counting stats but the combination of needing to learn a lot defensively and often not having all the tools in their toolbox offensively and some guys just get it and you know like Evan Mobley was there last year Herb Jones had an awesome perimeter defensive year last year so Bancaro to me Bancaro Matherin and Murray all have real shots of being positive players as rookies yeah there was a, a podcast that we did last year where before we started talking you asked me like which of the draft guys I had seen already 
And at that point, the only player I'd watched was Matherin. And, and I think you hadn't watched him mm-hmm. at that point. And I was like trying to explain him to you. And I was like, basically, if everything works out, he's Zach Levine. And I feel like that's the trajectory we're going to see. The dude is just otherworldly kind of athletic and his jumper just looks so pretty and he releases it from so high like i'm i'm pretty excited to watch him and tyrese halliburton on the court at the same time whenever i get a chance to watch the pacers we'll see how the coaches in indiana and sacramento manage this over time remember it's a marathon not a sprint i i praised Lamelo is a different kind of player to some extent but I praised James Borrego for being judicious with Lamelo all those years ago with Murray and I don't think Lamelo liked it so much uh, I don't I don't think he did but (laughs) I mean worked out for that period of time and like that you know getting used to well and that's why it's more about can they hang versus what do they fit in with this lineup or anything like that because those things are going to shift around i will say one of my favorite teams to watch in the preseason was the supersized magic when especially during that ridiculous stretch they started a game due to injuries with franz wagner at the two and but they had enough enough spacing they had enough ball handling it was an absolute delight and what I personally, you know, because my vision is always, you know, looking for the long term. If they're good enough to compete for a play-in spot, 100% on board, you know, great experience and all that. But I would love to see from the Magic, and we'll see, there will be a couple teams in this group of real signs that they're going to be good in the future, but still weak enough record-wise to maximize their ping-pong balls because adding one or one and a half more players with real ceilings, that's going to be what pushes them to be like a a core that I'm truly excited about three years from now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know much about um, any of the non Wembanyama prospects. I know that there are like everybody loves Scoot, and then there's like the Thompson twins that people like a lot, but I don't really know much about those guys. But it does seem like the Magic, if they could get like another wing guy or like a lead lead creator perimeter type, that would be uh, really really good for them. You know, maybe, maybe Suggs or Cole Anthony pops as that guy this year. Um, Suggs was not particularly impressive last season, even though I really liked him coming out of the draft, and then Cole has been more of uh yes than anything else um and he's been hurt a bunch and i think Suggs was hurt for a bunch of last year too but if they can add like a, a a true top creator to that mix all of a sudden that's something where you're really really interested in that right and i think it's a similar kind of construction for teams like the rockets where i really like jalen green and i'm intrigued by the, a lot of the young guys like they just have this collection of young players that i want to see where things go but it's going to take some time ty ty was one of my favorite guys at summer league and then tari eason if he can figure out how to shoot his defense and athleticism is awesome so if they could add in another player who's really good who can help kind of set the tone for them offensively or defensively in the rockets case that'll be really good and so with a lot of these teams, I mean, and then and then you have those that need a little bit more time to kind of sort through everything. Like, I mean, Utah ended up having a really nice win in game one. They're, as John Hollinger put it, they're too good right now to be in that in that mix. And I agree with that. I th- and that was something that showed up in the 538 projections and people were like really mad about it. And I just I like I wrote in the projections when we did the season preview. It was like Mike Conley's still good, Markinen's still good, Vanderbilt's still good, Clarkson's still good. Like, and these guys are all going to play a bunch. So right now, they're going to be a decent team. They don't want to be, but and you know we can't predict when they're going to tank. But whenever that happens, and they get those guys, some or all of them, off the team, that's when their projection will go way down, but not before. Right. And it's a long season, but the beginning of the season counts too. And I I wonder how they're going to handle that. I was worried about San Antonio being too good. And then they lost by, was it 27 (laughs) to the Hornets? So without LaMelo. So I'll have to see. I need to watch some of them in person. I'll I'll probably pick a game for them over the next, you know, I watch, I, I try to watch in the early stretch of the season. It's ambitious. I try to watch every team each week. But I, I definitely every two because Nate and I do the 15 and 60. And so you try to pick a matchup and for San Antonio, we'll we'll get that opportunity at some point in the near term. The one team that I've been focused focused on kind of intellectually and I didn't get to watch the opening night game because I was I'm hoping to watch them against the better opponent, though that game was close is Minnesota and Minnesota like Cleveland. There's this parallel where it's like the theory of the case for them 
is that they could be very good on both ends. Like there's a, they, there's a way that they, I mean, the Edwards Towns minutes in particular last year were wonderful offensively. And then you had Rudy Gobert and you're really good defensively, but it will take some time to sort this out offensively. And it was interesting. Maybe it's because he's recovering from this throat infection that Gobert ate in game one and Towns had a much more quiet night. Uh, yeah, I didn't see any, any of that game, unfortunately. Um, uh, who'd they play? OKC? They right? played OKC, yeah. Yeah, so I probably wasn't going to see much of it either way. Um, like, if I'm going to watch OKC, I'd rather get, like, another bad team out at the same time rather than watch Well, and, and it's the same with Minnesota. Like, you you don't necessarily want to see them against the top five team, but against someone that they could conceivably, like, be battling with for seeding, for example. Like, those are the games that I love to watch in the early going. I'm looking at this now. Towns and Edwards combined to go six for 27, and they still won this game because... Gobert was awesome, I guess, and McDaniels as well. But by the way, if we're, we just talked about how we wanted to see Minnesota against kind of like a like skilled team, that I hadn't looked at their schedule. That's not going to happen for a while. Here, I just, I just, because I, I genuinely was stunned when I looked at this. I'm going to go through their beginning schedule. Oklahoma, I'm not going to do home road. Oh OKC, my god, I'm looking at it now. Oh my god, Thunder, Jazz, Thunder, Spurs, Spurs, Lakers, Spurs. Then they get Phoenix and Milwaukee, so that's going to be a little bit of whiplash for them, but then Houston again. So, like, I would say their first game against a team that is, I mean, I guess you probably say the Phoenix game on November yeah, 1st. or, like, the Knicks a week later. Yeah. And, I mean, the Lakers The Lakers could actually be a good challenge. I'm, I'm interested in how, like, how some of the things shake out there, but I, do, I don't think of them as comparable regular season performance teams as of right now. How, how many more minutes do you think we'll see the uh, Russ, Beverly, Lonnie Walker, LeBron, Anthony Davis lineup after the other night? <laughs> more than I expected going into the season because I thought Westbrook did a better job fitting in than I expected, but the shooting problems, which LeBron talked about after the game as asked by Dan Wojcicki, well, well done by Dan to get that, to get those quotes out of him. It's a problem. And it, I mean, Nate and I talked about it. So we did the broadcast for Pelicans Nets. And then we were talking in person because we were, we went to Warriors Lakers together of the moments that really freak me out as an analyst in the early going are when I see something and identify it and then go, okay, well, how can they fix this? Like with the personnel they have and go, oh crap, they have nothing. And like, that's what I was getting into with the Lakers. It's like, oh, these groups are bad. Like the bad shooting and the Lakers, the Warriors are a great threat assessing team. They generally, you know, they'll, they'll take away, they'll take away bigger threats at the expense of leaving somebody who's a shaky shooter open. And that was leading to a bunch of problems for the Lakers. I'm like, okay, well, well, Dennis Schroeder's out. That's true. And in a weird way, Thomas Bryant can help them offensively to an extent as well, even though you think, oh, getting bigger might not do it. But they don't have a lot of players that simultaneously you that you're going to have to guard and also aren't creating problems the other way unless Matt Ryan is the next Max Struess. Just wait till they get Trevor Ariza back, right? Or Melo. Yeah. He's still available. Uh, well, the, the, I will the, say last year's team, they did at least get a bunch of shooters. None of them could play defense. But, you know, they went and got Carmelo, Monk, Ariza is three, theoretically a shooter. Well, and and like, Kendrick Nunn was a part of that theory, too. I think he's yeah. going to get some playing time, like when they start shifting these lineups around, because they need guys who could shoot it, especially because he could do some pull-up stuff. Yeah, it's... um. Look, the uh, the obvious trade that everybody wants them to make is, you know, the Miles Turner, Buddy Hill thing. And like, yeah, that would help them and it would make this team make a lot more sense. But is it helping them enough to justify it? I don't really think so. Like, it's not like they get to those two guys and like they're in the title contention mix now, you know, like they get those two guys and they can actually play real basketball. That's, you know, a bar they need to clear, but it's also not one that gets me super excited. That also makes it a significantly more awkward, painful question for Rob Polinka because we have a pretty good idea of what the price is from Indiana in terms to, to make that deal happen. And it looks like it's something like two first round picks. And I will note if what's holding that back is the Pacers not being willing to send a second back. If you can get two unprotected Lakers first in the future, do it. <laughs> you know, I think that's a good bet to make, especially with Rob Polinka getting an extension. I think there's going to, there's going to be a window. I, I believe that the Lakers, when they have cap space, will be in the mix for every prominent free agent, but I think it's going to be some time. And so if that, but yeah, well, look, Palenka got an extension, so it's time for him to go earn it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. And and so from but I think your point is incredibly salient on well, what does Turner and 
he'll do. And it makes them better, unequivocally. Like you're you're doing that and you're getting players who who can fit in, who can provide some who can provide some things that you're lacking and not take as much off the table on the other end as your current players are. However, like you, I don't think knowing what I know right now that that a move like that vaults the Lakers into the inner circle title contender. I'm not even sure it moves them into the outer circle of title contenders. And so then you're giving up a lot of equity in uncertain years for a pretty tepid return in my eyes. And so like there was this idea I had talked about it before the season and Nate Nate is the one who convinced me of this is that we needed to see how LeBron and AD looked to assess the Lakers before they made a move like this. And I think Indiana is kind of cool with that general concept. And Anthony Davis had a really good preseason. He had some wonderful defensive moments, even if the jump shot wasn't falling against the Warriors. And I'm still in the same boat where I'm just like, I don't know if they're good enough. Yeah, and I mean, like, look, maybe we need to see them for more than one game to have a real take on it. Sure. We probably do. And, and, also, again, you know, and against an opponent that isn't the Warriors. Yeah, well, they got the Clippers tonight, so that'll be an interesting one to take a look at. But, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not sure there's any one move that they can make that gets them into the mix because it's just not the level of team that they are. Um, and the theory of their current roster doesn't make enough sense for them to be really one move away. Um, it's it, it still boggles my mind that they went out in, what was it, 2018, 19, uh, in the summer of 2019, and built like a prototype LeBron team with like, you know, uh, they got one rim diving center to go alongside AD. They got a bunch of shooters, a bunch of defenders, and they were like, LeBron's going to run everything, and we're going to have three and D guys around him, and we're going to have AD, and we'll maybe play a center some of the time. And then they won the title, and then the first thing they did was change the entire theory of the team. They were like, we need more ball handlers. We need more uh, big guys. And it was just like, what are you doing? You finally landed on the theory of every LeBron team that's ever been good. And then you went and changed everything, and they've been chasing it ever since. Yeah, it is It is incredibly frustrating, and I was just, just to, to make myself more frustrated, I was going to look up Danny Green's transaction history. Yeah, I wrote, like, I wrote a story about Danny Green that season. Like, it came out shortly before the pandemic, and I asked Frank Vogel, like, why, after you guys missed out on Kawhi, why was Danny Green the first guy that you went and got? And he riled off, like, this whole list of reasons about why he's, like, such a perfect fit for them and such a perfect fit to play next to LeBron and AD and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, perfect. This is exactly what I was looking for. And also, yes, that is exactly why you go and get him. He's like the perfect superstar sidekick. That was like the whole theory of the story that I wrote because he's been the sidekick to so many different superstars throughout his career. And he was a perfect teammate for LeBron. And then they win the title. And then their their first move is to trade him. It's like, this is the guy that makes the whole team make sense. Obviously, Obviously, LeBron is the guy that drives everything but that's the guy you need with him it's just like and they they go and trade in for dennis schroeder and go at center and they're like mantras Harrell, so they can like make their bench offense better during the regular season well, and it's and, like when you have lebron you should not be investing in solving regular season problems here's the other incredible part of that trade that i had completely forgotten do you know who the pick that they the pick that they used that they that the lakers sent because remember the lakers sent a pick with danny green to get dennis schroeder that pick became Jaden McDaniels someone else who would be very good on the Lakers right now that pick changed hands a bunch of times that offseason it did yeah it went from the Lakers to the Thunder and I I don't know if these deals I can't remember it's even though it's less than two years ago it's all foggy it went went from the Lakers to the Thunder and then technically it was part of what became a three-way deal on draft night where it went to the Knicks and then to the Timberwolves yes and then Jaden McDaniels was there and was not included within the Rudy Gobert trade, and now he's starting at the three for them. So it's it's wild how those things can turn. And are, are there any other, like, okay, I mean, we, we talked about Minnesota a little bit. I think that they're that hybrid, like, they're not extreme like the Clippers, where it's all about, for me, March and April, and I'll, I'll take a look at them. Like, I want to get some early returns. But also, I understand that it's going to take some time for Minnesota to figure it out. Yeah, I do want to see, like, what their first ideas are, though. And then how those ideas change throughout the season. So I am going to want to look, get a look at them pretty early. I didn't see them last night. I don't think I'm going to be able to see them tomorrow because I'm going to be at Nets Raptors. So whatever their next game is after that, I'm going to get my eyes on that one. Unfor- <laughs> Hilariously, that their next game after that is against the Thunder again. So. <laughs> 
it's I I had not fully processed how bizarre this early schedule is for the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I mean you could argue that it's a good thing for yeah, for good them. for them get into a rhythm, get into a rhythm, and and also I, I mean I want to give the Thunder because there have been especially the one there I believe was their one national TV game got flexed out, and that was that was going to be the Chet Paolo game, and Mark Degnault has gotten this team playing very hard. They defend better than their personnel overall. It remains to be seen. Like I I firmly believe that if the goal is to get, you know, like winning playoff series, not just making the playoffs, that it's all about or primarily about high level talent and how it all fits together. But I, for anybody who's like, oh, the Thunder shouldn't be on national TV or anything like that. Watch this team. They're, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, plus, like, Shea is really good. Josh yes. Giddy is really good. Um, and they have all these, like, weird, interesting players. Like, I'm a big fan of Jalen Williams, the one who's good. Oh, I love Jalen Williams. I wanted the Knicks to draft him. Um, and like they're, right now, they're starting Poku at center. Like, do you need more of a sales pitch than Pokashevsky starting at center? Like, this is just. I do need more of a sales pitch than <laughs> that. But so Sam, uh, Sam Vecini doesn't, but you do. No, there there are several people that do not need more of a sales pitch than that. Um, but not like Chet was not the only reason to watch that team this year. So it does kind of suck that they got taken off national TV. I don't think it's like the biggest travesty in the history of the world. Like some people are talking about it on Twitter, but let the, let these guys play on national TV. Like who cares if Chet's not there? They actually have a weird schedule. I'm just looking it up because of the Minnesota thing that they don't play a team outside of like what the teams that I have in the top six of the West until the same November 1st where they play Orlando, a game that would have that would have been that national TV game that got flexed out. And so I, I, there's still a lot to learn about OKC. I'll pro- I, I think I'll probably end up watching that second Minnesota game, depending on my, my timing within that day. Probably more signal in that than the games they play against the Clippers. Um, but it, yeah, there's, I love the beginning of the season because we, we've talked about a fair number of teams, but like I'd be just as juiced up. We, you know, you and I have talked about the Knicks a lot over the course of the years. Like what what they're going to figure out, and like the Bucks, like we could honestly go through almost all thirty teams. There's something, there's something to care about. There's something to watch. There's something to learn. Yeah, I, I didn't see much of the Knicks last night, but I my I do have some of my friends already talking about how Isaiah Hartenstein should just take the job from Mitchell Robinson, which I can't say that I had game one on the uh, the bingo board for that, but I did think it might happen pretty early, and it's already happening in my texts. Hardenstein's really good, and yeah. I was somebody who used to crack jokes. And was like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't think. He, I mean, especially he was. I remember when he was a little bit, he was a little bit wider at the hoop summit. I saw him years and years ago. I think it was seventeen at that point. And to his immense credit, he has grown so much defensively, but also offensively. And oh yeah, he can move the ball a little bit. Like yeah, he, like he, he's uncorked the three toward the tail end of the game. Didn't go in, but he looked pretty smooth. It was incredible to me that the Knicks added. Like, so I had been like on this like I think Hartenstein's better than Mitchell Robinson and then they just got both of them and Hartenstein's contract is shorter and there might be some awkwardness if they end up going fully in that direction but like Mitchell Robinson can play like I don't think that it might be more of an embarrassment of riches situation for the Knicks rather than this guy's good this guy's trash or anything over no Robinson's a pretty good player like he's not the elite elite defender that I think a lot of the people that are highest on him think he is but he's really good at protecting the paint you know, and that's something that Thibodeau values more than just about anybody in all of basketball. So, you know, that's why he's still on the team, I would think. New York also like the rotational decisions and we'll see what happens with Cam Reddish. I mean, 22 points, confident as a driver, also hit a few threes. I, they, I, I really, you and you and Fred talked about it well when you did the team by team thing with this. Like their depth is totally good. Yeah, they go like 11 or 12 deep in terms of guys that you could feel comfortable having on the court. You know, they went 10 deep last night um with reddish as that 10th guy um and quentin grimes didn't play and then jericho sims looked like a you know like a backup caliber center whenever he was on the court last year you know um and then there there are people that will tell you that it's you know the the biggest travesty in the history of the world that deuce mcbride isn't the starting point guard um i didn't see all that much from him last year but there's some interesting defensive talent there at least i don't like he's probably the fourth best point guard on the roster but you know he's made he's maybe not a guy that you put on there and and totally destroys everything but they they do have quite a bit of depth and it's 
something of an issue because a lot of guys are going to get squeezed and not get enough playing time. There was like a thing from uh, from Ian Begley yesterday where he was like, you know, the Knicks are still open to listening to offers for guys like quickly and topping because they don't know if they can pay both of them in the future. And it's like, well, that problem is going to get solved because Tibbs is going to give them 16 minutes a game again. And they're, they're going to get like $8 million on their next deals. So it's uh, it's not as big a problem as you might think it would be. It's a very it's a very long game for Tibbs. I'm sure I'm sure that's how how it all happened. Um, but we we could all we could go another hour easily. But instead, I will thank you for taking the time. Thanks for having me, man. Always a good time. Thanks again to Jared Dubin for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at 538 and other places. So it's great to follow him on Twitter at jadubin5, J-A-D-U-B-I-N, then the number five. Also does great NFL work at CBS, which you can check out. And he does some really cool threads, usually on Monday. It might be on Tuesday on like the best plays, which as somebody who only casually watches the NFL now is really enjoyable. So if you want to check that out, you absolutely should. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways that you can do so. You can subscribe download every episode really whatever podcast player you use we really appreciate it and if you can also help other people find the show lots of different ways leaving a rating and review in the aforementioned podcast player word of mouth social media and the most important thing you can do for this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors for us that is betonline.ag use that clns50 promo code to get yourself a 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit and to tell them that you came from us which will hopefully lead to them continuing to advertise on this fair podcast can also check out my other work dunked on dunked on prime going as strong as it ever will lots of great content there and with john hollinger and dan feldman in the fold it's even better now we have our promo thing with hollinger joining up is now done but still a great service still thrilled to be a part of it doing discord chats and a bunch of other stuff really good there and the nba strategy stream that's nate and i broadcasting a game on league pass you watch the game with our commentary we're going to be doing that throughout the season and going strong, particularly in the beginning part of it, we did Pelicans Nets on Wednesday, and then we're going to do Raptors Heat on Saturday. That's an 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific start time. And then I believe we'll tweet it out a fair amount. We'll have a calendar of when future games are coming up. In the early part of the season, the strategy stream is going to change its date. We're bouncing it around a little bit, partially due to the national TV schedule. But then it'll probably get more consistent towards the end of the year. But lots of great matchups. I was looking through our preliminary schedule a couple days ago, getting even more excited. You can also check out my written work at The Athletic. I did written versions of my over-under pieces. Those have been both both been published, and I'm working on a team-by-team 2023 cap projection preview, and then there'll be, of course, a bunch of other stuff. I actually have a Warriors piece that is first draft done. That'll probably come out next week because it's not time-sensitive, so I'm giving editorial some time to work on it. And I think that's about enough for now. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. And I'll try to reply. I admit that I'm not the greatest at that. That's why I think of it more as feedback rather than a way of communicating more broadly than that. But I do read it. That's very important to me. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.